So we are finishing up 1 Corinthians. It's amazing. I always feel a sense of accomplishment when we end a book and a sense of sadness. So we're uh, finishing up here in chapter 15, uh, and we've been talking about the resurrection. And so I, I need to kind of recap. We started chapter 15 last week, and what I said last week is really important to this week. And so I'm going to recap a little bit. If, if you're confused by my recap, just go listen to last week's sermon. Um, last week we, we talked about Paul, is, he, he brings up the resurrection not randomly but because it appears that the church in Corinth has ceased to believe in the, resurrect, the future resurrection of the dead. Right? That, that once you die, that's it. And I don't, we don't know exactly what they believed instead of that, if it was just sort of like an annihilation thing, like he just, that's it, he just ceased to exist or what. But they had stopped believing in their resurrection. And, and so Paul is going to address that. And the way he goes about it is he starts talking about how we're basically this idea that we, we died with Christ and we were raised with Christ. Like we are in Christ. We've talked about this many times. This is the key to understanding Paul everywhere is this is how he sees everything and so he sees himself and every christian as being sort of tied to jesus permanently and wherever jesus goes we go okay and so when jesus died you died and when jesus was raised you're raised and it says therefore you're going to be raised like that's not just a metaphor okay which is what i love about this is for paul this is not just a philosophical way of talking about your salvation it's not just a cute metaphor that makes you feel nice. It's an actual concrete reality. So concrete that if Jesus was raised, he says, you must be raised. And if you're not raised in the end, then, there's, then you're not saved. Right? It's that real for him. Okay? So he's locking those two together. Okay? Um, and so this morning what I want to look at is kind of, we talked about like how wonderful it is to be in Christ last week, and now I want to, we want to look at what does this mean for what happens to us when we die? That's kind of an important topic, isn't it? Like we need to know this because it affects how we live, which is where we'll end this morning. So let's start here, 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 20. He says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So we read that last week and talked about that extensively. Verse 23, But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Now that's great news. We should have a party over that verse. I mean, put that on a t-shirt. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So right there in verse 23, we shift from past and present realities having to do with being in Christ to your future. What does being in Christ mean for your future? Paul's point here is that the resurrection of Jesus not only makes our future resurrection possible doesn't just mean jesus has the power to raise you maybe it's a possibility you know it's actually an inevitability it is guaranteed in christ by the spirit right now Amen. okay that's you have a good future 
it's going to be amazing. Your future is going to be better than your present. No matter how great your present might be right now. I'm not assuming your present's terrible. It might be. But however good or bad it is, your future is guaranteed, it is inevitable, that it will be greater than your present. We jump down to verse 50. He says, I tell you this, brothers and sisters, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not fall all asleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must be put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So what he's saying is that there's going to come this, he says it's a mystery, okay? So if you feel like, oh, this is kind of weird. This sounds like a sci-fi thing. He, he had says this. this is a mystery. I'm telling you something strange that's hard to comprehend. But the truth is that in that day, you, we're all going to be changed. Whether you've fallen asleep and died, you'll be resurrected, and there's, you're going to have some kind of different body. A glorified, imperishable, immortal, permanent, eternal body the best we can say is it's something like what Jesus had after the resurrection. We get some description of that. Because you have to be in a different form to be in heaven. Heaven is forever. This body is not. It's decaying. I mean, I got glasses this week. Something's wrong. Like, did I freak out? Was that weird to me that I had to get glasses? No, I fully expected it. We all expect it. One day, our eyes stop working. Why? Because they're not, they're, over time, they're just, when you hit 40... Just go to the eye doctor. Your glasses are waiting for you. Right? We all know this. It's, it's built in. Nobody has to explain this to you. You know it's coming because your body is breaking down. That won't work forever. So this thing has to be changed into something that will work forever. And that's what he's describing. But what I want to focus on is in verse 54b, the second half of 54 and 55, Paul quotes Isaiah 25 and also Hosea 13, and he's taunting death. He's mocking it. This is the attitude we need to have. Death, where's your sting? What, you, what do you have? You can't hurt me. You're not in charge anymore. You're the last enemy, and you're going to die. He says, death is swallowed up in victory Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? I think it's a shame we only read this at funerals because it's really more about life. Now, there's a problem here. The problem is if death has been defeated, then why are people still dying? And this is probably one of the issues he was, that brought this up in this church. Is they probably thought, well, when Jesus said, I'm going to come again soon, they interpreted soon as like before they die. And the church is aging now. It's getting to the point where people are dying. This is also what Peter's addressing when he writes his letters, First and Second Peter. 
And, and so there's this question. It's a theological question, but it's a very practical one. Like, I thought Jesus was coming again, and I wasn't going to die. And now, my, you know, my, the elderly are dying, people are dying. When's this going to happen? And how do we, what does the resurrection of Christ mean for this? And we've all experienced this. Everybody in this room, I'll wager, has had somebody die. And the, you've faced this question of, and then they read this verse at the funeral and say, death, where is your sting? And you're sitting there going, well, this thing's pretty bad. This burns. This hurts. I'm terribly disappointed. This is a tragedy. I don't understand. This feels incongruent with what you're reading right now. Paul, is Paul in denial of that reality? I don't think so for two really big reasons. And this kind of where we'll kind of rest here for a minute. He says, we exist in at least two parts. Some say three, flesh and spirit. You at least have two, a physical and a spiritual part. Okay, we can say that much, and we can argue about how that's divided up. I, I won't because I think it's a dumb argument. But the, what we need to see is that when the believer dies, only the physical dies. And the physical is really important. Remember 1 Corinthians 7, we talked about this a lot. Your physical body is a part of who you are. It's not incidental. It doesn't not matter. It's, it's important. And so, so when, when the physical body dies, you died, and part of you is missing, okay? That's important to recognize. Your body is sacred. But Paul and Jesus talked about death in, in a peculiar way. You might have noticed it as I was just reading. He says, he talks about being, having fallen asleep. He's not, this is not a platitude that he's trying to, because he doesn't want to say the word die. I think a lot of people are afraid of that word, so they say things like passed on or some other word, trying to avoid that word, but that's not what he's doing. It's not what Jesus is doing. He's being descriptive of exactly what's happened. That this is not a permanent state. Death is not permanent. It is falling asleep. It is more like falling asleep for a very long time than a kind of finality. Because that's who we are. We are not just a physical body. We are body and spirit. When a Christian dies, they're temporarily separated from their body, but it's not a permanent state. The second thing is delayed fulfillment of a promise is not the same thing as denial or failure to fulfill. The sting of death will not be fully removed until you're gone and you see him face to face. And then you will say, in accordance with Scripture, the sting of death is gone. Death has been swallowed up in victory. That's why I think it's important to admit and to say out loud there's something wrong about death. The fact that death is not dead is wrong. When did death start? It started when Adam sinned. That's Paul's point right here at the end. He says the sting of death is sin. That's what he's saying. The source of death is sin. It's wrong. It shouldn't exist. It shouldn't be. And so there should be an anger there should be a, a frustration at the injustice of death because God didn't want it to be. And he is fixing it. And so the sting, it stings now. But it's being removed in Christ. And so your, your future resurrection is like the punch or the slap across the face of death at the end. But it's hard for us right now, right, in the in-between the in-between, the promise, and the fulfillment. We all live in that space. God's perspective is never confined by the present moment. 
God is not confined by time, but sees it all and is Lord over it all. This is why Jesus so often referred to death in this falling asleep way. Because what God sees from God's perspective is, I've conquered it, it's done, I've killed it, it's dead, I'm going to raise you all up, and you're going to stand in victory over death in your glorified bodies as one eternal family. And we're going to cheer, not just at the glory of Christ, but also at the death of death. That'll be a good day. I think this is one of the most over, overlooked doctrines that people don't think about or, or, or plant in their hearts until they're forced to face it. And when you're forced to face it, it's kind of not the best time to have to learn what the Bible says about death and resurrection. I can tell you from very personal experience, when death comes knocking at your door, your list of truths that you can really lean on for stability and comfort gets very short. Whether it's a loved one that dies or you get some kind of diagnosis, right, that threatens death or you have some kind of health event where you almost die, like that moment, the things that, it's like you get tunnel vision, like doctrinal tunnel vision, where your list of things that really are true and they've planted deep in your heart that you can lean on for real comfort, it gets real short. And you, one of them needs to be this that death is not my boss. Jesus is. Jesus is Lord. He reigns over all, including death. And my death is not permanent, right? I remember, a lot of you remember this when I was 39, many, many moons ago. I had a heart attack. It was a minor heart attack, if you can call a heart attack minor, but I remember it didn't kill me, obviously. Uh, but there was a few hours there, because it was so minor, they couldn't figure out if I'd actually had a heart attack. And so there was this frustrating period of time of a few hours, starting in my living room, where I thought I was going to die. Like any second, I could just, my heart would stop. Because they were all kind of hemming and hawing, going, I don't know, we've got to run some tests, and maybe, maybe you're dying, maybe you're not. And, and I know it was a setup from God, in hindsight. At the time, it just felt chaos. If you've never had somebody bring a stretcher back, back in ambulance up into your driveway and bring a stretcher into your living room, then I hope you never do. Because it made me mad. I look at this guy, I know he's coming for me because I called him, <laughs> or Caitlin called him. But I'm like, get that thing out of my house. This is where I go to feel safe. This is where I go to feel comfort, and you're bringing this threat into my house. It just, I was frustrated, irritated, like, just get out of my house. Tell me I'm okay and get out of my house. The next thing I know, I'm laying on the stretcher in my living room, being wheeled down the hallway, out the front door, kind of waving at the neighbors, feeling like an invalid. And I'm thinking, I'm 39 years old. What, this doesn't happen to 39-year-olds. And then, of course, the paramedics are like, you know, you're young for a heart attack. Thanks, that makes me feel great. It's not a record I want to break, you know. <laughs> You're a statistical anomaly. Great. That's exciting news. Appreciate that, you know, information. That really helps. But you get in the ambulance and the door just closes and it's the most lonely feeling on the planet. If you've ever, I won't ask for a show of hands because it's awful. I don't want to bond with you over this. But it's an awful feeling. 
And I'm laying there thinking, I'm going to die. And they all seem unconcerned because they do this every day. This is just their job. It's like making a cheeseburger at McDonald's for them. This is just what they do. And for me, I feel like I could die any second. And I'm hyper aware of my heart and suddenly aware that if this thing stops for too long, this thing I can't control, I can't make my heart beat, I can't tell it what to do, I can't, like I can move my arm, but I can't move my heart. And it's just going to do what it's going to do, and I just got to lay here and let whatever's going to happen, happen. And in that moment, my list of things that give me comfort got terribly short. And all I can remember thinking was, at the end of Matthew, at the end of the Great Commission, Jesus says, I will be with you always to the end of the age. And I thought, all right, if the end of my age is right now or 50 years from now, he's with me, I'm not by myself. I don't have to be, I don't have to collapse under the weight of this aloneness in this ambulance. And the other one was to live as Christ and to die as gain. Those are my two things. Thinking I'm going to die. Those are the two things I have. If I live, it's for Christ. If I die, that's gain. Gain for me, it's gain for everybody. Somehow I believe that. And this has got to be one of your things. It's got to be in your heart. And it's got to be in your heart before you're in the ambulance, in the stretcher, or your loved one is in the ambulance, in the stretcher, or on the bed. It's got to be there. I am in Christ. And I was there when he died on the cross. I was there when he walked out of the grave. And I am going to be risen again. It's inevitable. Death is not permanent. I think some of you, I know this because it's true of most people, but some of you are horribly afraid of death. I'm making you terribly uncomfortable right now. This is not a topic. You don't go to funerals. You don't go to hospitals if you can stand it because it feels like you're too close to it. You avoid the topic. You avoid the thoughts, and I want to tell you, you can't escape it. The way to escape that fear is not to lie to yourself and say, well, if I just eat right and exercise a lot, I'll be fine. And don't love too many people. I mean, there's people that, some of y'all think that way. I can't attach myself to too many people because if somebody dies, somebody leaves, disappears, I can't do it. You can't defeat death with saccharine sweet platitudes in cursive fonts placed over pictures of clouds and angels on Facebook. You can't ward it away or shoo it away by saying sweet things that mean nothing. You can't take the sting out of death by baking a casserole and telling grieving people things that aren't true. For those that are in Christ, we can boldly declare that they are not dead but asleep. We say exactly what Jesus says, exactly what Paul says. Our enemy death has been defeated. The sting has been removed. We will see them again and very soon. This is the only way not to be afraid of it. It's the only way. 
So for a moment, I want you just to consider the people in this room. I think this leads to people in your life, too. Look around. These are not just people that you have randomly intersected with here in this time and place. If they're Christians, you're an eternal family. We're going to be together forever. You're my brothers and sisters eternally. That's crazy. That's just hard to get your head around. Like, what's, it, what's my relationship with Jamie going to be like at, like, the three million year mark? I mean, he's an interesting guy, but I don't know, I mean, the depths to which we would have to go to, con- like, what would you understand about a person that you knew for three million years? And to know that that's just the beginning of your relationship. And that relationship is untainted, unfiltered, unhindered by any sin, self-consciousness, selfishness, um, the need to perform or to look good or, or, or to make yourself feel better or less than the other person. No, no lack of honesty, no need to hide anything, no shame. Imagine a relationship with zero shame. This is what it will be like with us forever. This is where we're headed. Consider all the people that you've lost, that you miss. Go all the way back to the New Testament. (laughs) Peter is going to be there. My grandfather, who I barely knew, will be there. I have some memories of him, and he left me a note that he typed out in we had a lot of foresight. He knew he probably wouldn't live very long. And so he left me a typed out note that gave me advice and talked about what it was like to raise my dad. I'll get to meet him. I'll sit on a porch somewhere. I'm sure there'll be a porch with a swing. That's what I'm hoping for. And a perfect 70 degree weather. And we can hang out and talk. Like that's your eternal future. Depending on when Jesus returns, all of us in this room will physically die someday in the future. Physically separated, but not eternally separated. It's a warm reunion that we're looking forward to. In heaven, you will be welcomed by friends, eternal family. As C.S. Lewis famously wrote, you have never met a mere mortal. Now, one person you know in your life is mortal. A mere mortal. We all live forever eternally in blessing and in life or eternally in torment. And I think in that moment when we read, we will all quote 1 Corinthians and it will make perfect sense in that moment. Death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? I can't find it. I'm looking for it. Can't find your victory anywhere, death. Where's your sting? So for those of us left behind, what are we to do? He ends with verse 58. He says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is not pointless. What you go through to live in this life, whatever your struggle is, whatever your burden is, whatever the thing is that frustrates you day in and day out, and seems to just linger 
all the time and never quite go away. That struggle is not in vain. Your ministry to other people, even if it seems like it's not working and it bears no fruit, your service of the church, your service of the community, your love for God, all of it, it may seem like sometimes it's fruitless and pointless. But he says, because of the resurrection, it is not in vain. Because we're not living for this right now. We're living for that. So we take time to mourn our losses, but when the season of mourning is over, we get back to abounding in the work of the Lord. That's what we do. I think the first place to start in the work of the Lord is that we treat each other like we are an eternal family. We consider one another as according to the resurrection, not according to who we see in front of us right now. You are not who you appear to be. You are far more than that. You are destined, is, is, is an inevitability about you, that you will be glorified and raised and you will be perfected. And that is who God says you are now. That's how he sees you. And the challenge with all of us is to see each other this way, right? To not see you like in your broken state, your broken, weak, sinful, distracted state where you're constantly struggling just to even like get over the most basic of things. And we can get frustrated with each other because we stop seeing each other as an eternal part of the family that is destined for greatness. Instead, we see each other in just what we see in front of us. And this is the challenge. We forgive, we repent, we reconcile as best as we can because we are going to be together for a very, very, very long time. It's good news. So I'm not going to read the rest of Corinthians. I want to encourage you to read it. Paul closes up his letter talking about the collection he's taking up for the other churches, uh, really probably just, just the church in Jerusalem who were struggling under tremendous persecution. He's been traveling around taking up a collection, kind of like we did for Ukraine, same thing, just electronically. Um, and he says hello to some people. You catch his heart. It may seem like there's not a lot of content there. The content is Paul's heart for the people he's serving in that church because he's kind of, he's been rough on them. <laughs> so he closes in a very nice way. But I want to close by just praying. I, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I don't want to embarrass you. I just want to pray for those of us here in the room or watching online that are paralyzed by fear of death or you can't escape like the death of a loved one and you just can't get past it. I want to pray that not just some like sweet, like, oh, just get over it. But the only way to deal with that is to deal with this text. What is death? Is it falling asleep? Is it permanent? Is it the end? Is it the worst thing that can happen? What's God's perspective? And I want you to see the inevitability of your own resurrection. And in that place, I am in Christ, and I'm held in him by the Spirit permanently forever. And that brings relief. So I'd like to pray for you specifically. Um, so why don't we all stand up together?
God, I pray for all of us that you would establish in our hearts deep in a deep place that's immovable and unshakable. God, a confidence in our eternal future. God, I pray for those here that are just get consumed at times with a fear of death and a fear of what it means. Maybe not just their own death, but any death. So much so that they find themselves avoiding the topic and avoiding the issue no matter the cost sometimes. God, I pray right now that you would minister to them the truth of this scripture by the Holy Spirit. God, they would have confidence that this would get on their short list of things. That when death comes knocking at the door, that they would be able to have this to hold on to. Your perspective on life and death. And God, the enemy's perspective of fear and panic and worry, God, that it would be permanently removed right now. That they will be released from that. God, I pray for all of us that we would have an eternal perspective. An eternal perspective on each other and on the work that we do. The toil of ministry and parenting and shepherding. The work of bearing witness. The work of forgiving and repenting and reconciling. It's hard work. And if the resurrection is not true for us, it's not worth it. But we know it is true that on that day we will be raised and transformed and changed. And we will see ourselves and see you and see each other as you see us through your eyes. God, this idea, the depth of being, what it means to be in Christ will be clear to us in that moment. And our minds will be blown. We won't be able to believe what we're seeing. So Holy Spirit, I ask you to hold this perspective in our minds in the here and now. God, give us joy in our struggles. Give us joy even in our mourning. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.